Welcome to the At A Total Loss podcast, where lost moms candidly talk about stillbirth, baby loss, grief, survival, and all things in between. I'm Catherine. My first child, Brody, died at full term and was stillborn in January of 2022. I literally thought the sadness was going to kill me. And while trying to survive, I reached out to lost moms to connect with others who knew how I felt. It was these conversations that saved me, and to this day, they still do. We discuss our babies, life with grief. We even laugh, a lot actually. It is my hope that hearing our stories will help you realize that you are not alone in any of this, and maybe even serve as a guide to finding light in the dark. So get comfortable and grab some tissues as we discuss this crazy life after baby death that has left us all at a total loss. Are you comfortable? <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> I, I'm a little nervous. Oh, no, no. Just pretend like I'm not recording. It's just a Zoom, which we had talked right after Brody was born, but it was just like, I think it was just a phone call. We didn't do a Zoom or anything. Um, and gosh, you came on the scene just for those listening. This is Heather and she's famous because your name has been said in so many episodes because you were there at the very beginning of everything. So right when my sister found out that Brody had died, she immediately called her friend Kat, who's your best friend. And because she had remembered that Kat had a friend that went through something similar. So Kat immediately was like, you've got to call Heather. And so Heather here, (laughs) you coached my sister on pretty much everything to do. And it was everything from bring the, bring the outfit that you want him in and bring the stuffed animals and get the pictures and hold him and you get the video and do everything that you possibly can get the baptism. It was everything because I looked at my sister and I was like, no, I'm not doing any of this. I want to get the hell out of here. I don't understand what's happening. I was in flight mode, trauma induced. And my sister was like, no, we're doing all this. Like Heather was adamant. So then we finally met a couple weeks ago at the event here in Atlanta. It was like so emotional. I was like, keep it cool, Catherine, keep it cool. Um, So thank you so much for starters for just being you and being open and transparent and very honest about your experiences. And so that's why I'm so thankful that you have agreed to chat with me because your perspective in the way that you have relayed your information, your journey, your experience to me has been so wildly helpful. So I really think that it could be helpful for so many others. So thank you for doing this, even though it is a little uncomfortable. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I, I, you know, people always ask me, do you mind? Do you mind to talk to this mom who just lost a baby? And even cat, my cat, you know, she called or texted and said, you know, I hate to do this to you. I don't mean to upset you, but I have a friend and um, her sister is, you know, about to deliver a baby. And, you know, for me, the answer is always, of course I will. Like there's nothing in the world that would ever, um, stop me or prevent me from reaching out and trying to help another mom or family. And so that's just a no brainer for me. I, I want to be there. I want to give 
people hope and advice while either in the hospital and even on down the road. So it's never a burden. I feel like it's, you know, I do feel like that that's sort of my purpose here is to use my experience to try and help other people going through this, other family members, spouses, friends. Um, So it's, I'm always available. Yeah, that's so, so appreciated and so special that you made that commitment. And you just celebrated Laura Caroline's 15th birthday. Is that right? Yes. On September 15th, 2007, she was born. Um, And so, yeah, this year marks 15. It just seems unbelievable. Um, One, that that much time has passed. And just to think about the person, the mom, the couple, um, in 2007 and fast forward to 2022, what life looks like now. Um, it's my hope to give other people hope that happiness can be found. And I do think that, you know, you're never the same. And I think that's completely fine. I think even though you're never the same, you know, you're still, you're not quite whole, but you can be happy Mm. and there is joy out there. And I think for me in those, you know, darker days, beginning days, I question joy. Is it there? Would, would we ever, would I ever feel it again? You know, would, is, is that even possible? And thankfully it is. And I just want every mom out there that's in these, in these dark phases, beginning phases, middle phases, wherever they are, to know that I'm living proof that joy can exist. I love that. And so that we can get perspective of this is where you are at 15 years later. Will you take me all the way back to how you got here, where this started? What was Laura Caroline's pregnancy like? What was she like as a baby? I I want you to start from the beginning and kind of give me the rundown of like where this all started. Well, funny story here, you know, I, again, it's been a few years and my brain memory is probably not, um, not as sharp as it once was. So I have gone back and read emails. I have talked to my husband for hours on end before speaking with you to to sort of try to go back there and try to remember for your listeners, because it's not, the details are not on the forefront of my mind at this day and age. And so it's been super, super therapeutic and helpful to go back and sort of find details, document details that maybe I had forgotten about. Um, so I, I thank you for that. I'm, I'm glad to be here today and I'm glad to have, you know, gone through everything or most of or what I can remember. So out by saying that um, we had trouble getting pregnant we had done less invasive fertility treatments and then eventually moved up to IVF. And so we, we did in vitro to get pregnant and it was a rocky pregnancy from the start. Um, I kind of relived this a little bit as I was thinking through it. And I still think it's truly unbelievable, but um, I had some bleeding early in my pregnancy. I was told at one point, early on that I miscarried. So we all mourned the miscarriage of the baby that we all were praying for because it was just so hard for me and my friends and family knew that like 
we waited and, you know, went through a lot of, you know, appointments and medication and, and all that goes into in vitro um, to have come up and, you know, lost the baby. But we later found out that I was still pregnant. Wait, and- wait, hold on. They mm-hmm. told you you miscarried and you actually did not? Yes, yes. So I went in, I went in, I think it was maybe a Friday, had a sonogram, there was a heartbeat. We were like beyond thrilled. And then the next day I had some bleeding and I panicked and my doctor um was able to see me and did an ultrasound and he couldn't find a heartbeat. But you know, there was this big butt because of the bleed and blood clot that, that was causing the blood clot was causing the bleeding. And so, you know, he said, I'm there, it could be behind that blood clot, but I'm thinking not go ahead. And for some reason, he told me, go ahead and take the medication that I was taking, you know, to sustain the pregnancy. And so, um, was that a blood thinner? back on Monday? No, I think it was progesterone. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so we went back and just to double check because he had taken labs and the labs were showing that there was still a pregnancy, you know, progressing. And so we went back and lo and behold, there was a heartbeat. And so we had to go back and tell everyone, you know, hey, never mind. We uh, we actually are still pregnant. And I, I know wow. it's unbelievable, but it, it happened another time, like a few days later, couldn't find it. And so it was a big roller coaster in the first trimester. And I, the, it's called a subchorionic bleed or hemorrhage and it's, it can be common and in vitro, for in vitro patients. So, mm-hmm. um, but once we got through the first trimester for the most part, everything was great. Um, I didn't ever, you know, question movement. I mean, everything seemed fine. We found out at 18 weeks that we were having a girl and we were so excited about that. Um, and then we, you know, had baby shower in August and my due date was August the 10th. And in September, the baby, we found out the baby was breech. And so I can't remember the week, um, but it was like, Hey, let's see if the baby will turn. And then otherwise we need to consider or, you know, schedule a C-section. So baby hadn't turned. So we scheduled a C-section for October the 1st which would have been, I think, 39 weeks or something like that. And so, um, I, you know, became okay with that. Wanted a healthy baby, didn't want to do anything dramatic to try yeah. to make the baby turn or anything like that. I mean, I think back then people were like having, I don't remember what it was called, the <laughs> turning the baby in their stomach and all that. Yeah. And so that's fine. We went forward and I, I do remember probably a week before the 15th, um, I, I did feel a little decrease in movement and I went to the doctor. I'm, I don't remember what day I went to the doctor, but I'm just going to call it Monday. Cause I really do think it was that week. Um, and so I went in and my OB-GYN, um, had advised me, you know, next time, if you're nervous, you need to go straight to the maternal observation unit at the hospital. And so, but she says that is normal babies, you know, get bigger, they have less room to move around and, um, not, not to worry, but it put my mind at ease. And so, um, the week 
go, goes on. And um, I did go back and look at like the dates and days. And I guess on Thursday, I realized at some point during the day, huh, I haven't felt the baby moving as much. I don't remember the time of day, but at some time that during that day, I think it was a Thursday and I started to get a little anxious. And then I think I left work that day and rest, tried to rest because I had a dinner to go to that night and, you know, tried to drink something cold or I, I don't remember what, if I drank a Coke or whatever to try to get her to move. And, you know, you, I do feel like you kind of psych yourself out sometimes, or I, or I remember that happening to me where I thought, okay, that, I think that was something, you know, mm. I, I think that was a kick, or I think that was, you know, how they tense up and, you know, kind of getting a ball or whatever, and you can feel that. And so I would, but I never was certain. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it was nothing definite. And so I ended up going to this dinner and I'm, you know, visibly worried and panicked. And a friend of mine just said, you know, she'd had two babies. They get big and they really just don't move as much in the end. And I was like, okay, I'm you know going to hang on to that. And then I woke up in the middle of the night that night and I was like, this is, there's something terribly wrong. So I got up, I drank a Coca-Cola, I laid on the couch and I was like, this is crazy. So got my husband up and by that point it was becoming, you know, light. And so we, um, we went to my OB-GYN's office and we basically stalked the door until someone opened it and they ran me back and put the Doppler on my stomach and, you know, of course did not hear anything. And, um, you know, that's where the panic set in pretty quickly. And then, uh, I don't even remember who did this, the sonogram. I think they pulled in a machine like a, I, I don't even remember, but I just remember, you know, the confirmation of what we had feared and just, you know, dropped to my knees and screamed and, um, you know, truly thinking that this is, this couldn't be possible. It really, I really relived it um, yesterday and thought to myself, I wanted to really go back and remember what I was thinking. And I truly thought like, this has to be the nightmare that I'm waiting to wake up from. Mm. It has to be, it felt like that, like something that you just want to go away and turn off. And so, um, it's like an outer body experience. It truly is because nobody, nobody at the time, um, you know, I didn't know anyone personally who had lost the baby. I did have an acquaintance in town. Um, and I remember she had a stillborn child and I, she was a little bit older than me, but, and I still remember like hearing that she had lost a baby and thought to myself, that's the most unbelievable thing I've ever heard, you know, and God, I hope that would never happen to me or anybody yeah. else. I know. So so when this happened, did you have someone to reach out to, to, to guide you? Or did you kind of figure this out as it went? I did. I, I did. So, um, my, uh, and I, you'll probably hear this many, many times throughout our conversation, but my friends are truly like nothing else. I mean, they were my lifeline. They are my lifeline. They are, there's just. I feel like the luckiest person in the world with my support group. Um, 
my friends, friend, you know, have friends of friends. And there was a girl in Dallas um, that had a son who was stillborn in May. So I think she was four months ahead of me um, in the process, the grieving process. And I, I, you know, we got to emailing once we had, well, we live in Fort Worth and my family live, lives in South Texas. And so we went there for the funeral. And once we got home, I ended up going to meet her in person in Dallas, which is very close. And um, we were really and truly one another's lifeline. I felt like that, at least from my point of view. And it was just to have somebody validate the, we called it the crazy thoughts and not crazy, like we were doing anything crazy, but you know, it's just, I, I, I don't even, can't even come up with an example, but mm. you do just have like really outlandish things you think about. Um, and, you know, of course she was super helpful to listen, you know, to my side of, you know, the blame, you know, mm. there's just so much blame. And I think, I think I'm rec- I think that's one of the things that I am, I have, I guess, put away for so many years. I've tried to, I don't know about try to forget it or, or why, but I'm remembering the blame it was so great. And I feel like she was just so good about talking through it and us talking through those feelings together. But, um, but it, you know, there aren't very many of us out there. There's too many of us out there, Yeah. but there aren't very, you know, it's not something that happens to everybody. And, um, you know, my friends, my family took, took this very seriously. They, you know, this wasn't in this carriage, this, we lost a baby. We lost a baby that we were preparing for that would, you know, mm-hmm. was otherwise healthy and, and um, so I had a great support system through her yeah. and, and through all the people around me, frankly. I'm happy to hear that. Did, were the doctors as supportive as your, like your friends? What did they end up saying happened? Um, you know, the, you know, I listened to, I've listened to all these wonderful women speak on your podcast and I just, I can't hear the cord around the neck enough. I just, it's so alarming. Um, but the cord was around her neck. She was breech. And I do, I, I feel like I'm hearing breach a lot too. And, yeah. and, um, and your, the women you've been speaking to. So I don't know, I'd, I'd never really put a lot of thought into that, but I, I find it interesting to hear that that seems like a common thread. Yeah. Something about the turning action mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. Um, so you, I want to go back. You said that you had to actually dig up your memories because a lot of things you don't remember, like the details, which mm-hmm. for me, 10 months out seems wild because I feel like I relive them every single day and I play them on repeat, which a lot of us do, especially soon after loss. But I'm curious, what was your grief like? You said that you did have that person that was helping you through it. who was four months ahead of you and that you had a lot of blame. So at what point, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, at what point did you stop hashing out the details long enough to forget them? Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I think it's one of those things that's 
just evolves into, you know, um, it's never gone. I think I've, I've, can't say that enough. I know I've already said it, but it's the grief is never gone. I've, I've definitely shed some tears, you know, kind of reliving these, these moments and really trying to, to, to dig into my memory. Um, but I do think, you know, I have gone on to have three children and I feel like, you know, you know, that has been helpful. Um, just the, again, reiterating that joy is, is out there for all of us. Um, I do think that that's helpful in sort of, it's not that it's, they're not, the memories aren't gone. They're just not on the forefront. I don't, I I guess I can't answer your question really. Like it's hard for me to say, I don't know when, I don't know when, when that wasn't just the thought every second of every day. Mm. Um, I did, you know, and I've listened to a lot of women, uh, again, on the podcast, it says, I want to go have a baby right away. I wanted to have a baby right away. I wanted to get pregnant again. I also, and you know, you and I haven't had that much one-on-one time to talk about this, but you know, I was a little bit older than I would have liked to have been. Um, and I had problems. I mean, I was never able to get pregnant on my own. And so I knew that there was that other layer that I had to, I mean, we had multiple steps we had to get through to even think about having another, another baby. And so I think that I really focused on that. I think that that was helpful for me to sort of get my mind, you know, going towards something else. Mm. Um, so how soon after Laura Caroline, did you start to put the wheels in motion to get pregnant? As again? soon as I could. Yeah. I, we went in, um, in February. So yeah, she was born September, 2007. We, we went in February of 2008, um, from in, the in vitro, I had to, we, or we had two, um, embryos and one was uh, excellent and one was so, so, so obviously we put in the excellent one and that was Laura Caroline. And so we went back to, um, to use the frozen one and it just, it didn't go well in the thought process. I don't know how else to say it when we didn't get pregnant in February, we had to start a whole in vitro cycle over, meaning, you know, retrieval and all the things. And that was super discouraging because that was just, again, prolonging the process. And so I pushed them hard and I just said, okay, well, you just tell me as soon as I can go, go through and start, you know, getting my body prepped and, and doing all the things. And so we did, I, I think we started the process in probably late May, early June of 2008. And then my son was born in February of 2009. Mm. And I think probably now talking through all this with you, Kat, Mm. I think probably then is when things started to dull in my mind a little Mm. bit, the pain's still there, but the, but the, you know, my focus was a a lot different and Mm. it should have been a lot different. Um, but I would probably say that I'd probably say the birth of my first son, Preston really just changed my focus and was very, for me, very healing. Yeah. Did you had said something to me at the event, you said something along the lines of we do whatever it takes because I'm facing some challenges and I'm 
going to have to face even more pregnant again. And you were telling me that women will just, will just do whatever it takes to be a mom. So you had rough roads ahead. I mean, even after Laura Caroline, did you, how did you tackle all of that on top of the grief or did you kind of recenter your focus on pregnancy for a while after her death? Well, I, you know, I think, you know, after Preston, um, strangely enough, I ended up getting pregnant on my own, which was a very huge surprise, but that I didn't sustain the pregnancy. Um, I I had a miscarriage. And so then I just sort of was like, I, I felt even more determined that it was that I wanted to have multiple children. And I, I realized a lot of people, maybe that sounds greedy, maybe that sounds strange, but I'm an only child. And, um, it was a, I had a great life. I had an amazing life still do, but I, I just wanted my child to have siblings and I wanted a house full of, of as many kids as God was willing to shower me with. And so I think I just, after, after that Preston's pregnancy was very challenging, also a lot of bed rest. And so I just, I just felt like I just wasn't time to give up. Mm. I talked to Jeff for a very long time, my husband on, um, Monday night, and it was an amazing conversation. We just, again, sent him back in time Mm. and I said, what's your, what is your message? And he said, just, I mean, perseverance, you know, it's just, you you don't give up if whatever, whatever it's going to take to get you the, the baby or babies that you want. Is it another in vitro? Is it adoption? I I mean, we were just, I, I mean, I will say it was more me. He would never have urged or pressured me to do anything that I wasn't already willing to do. So I, I will say I, definitely had the driver's seat there, but, um, we were just determined. Were you guys always such a strong team from the beginning? Um, I think so. I mean, we, we've known each other since we were 10 years old. We started oh, wow. dating as seniors in high school and, you know, we didn't go to the same colleges. So we had some, some breaks here and there, but, um, we, we just, we had known each other at the time for so long. I think we'd been married for five years. Um, and one of the, one of the things that I think that I'm most proud of, and I really think that he is too. So we, as a couple are how we navigated Laura Caroline's death together. And I feel like it's a bond that's unbreakable and it's tragic. It's horrible. But all at the same time, like, I feel like there's just, there's a sense of just, it's just rock solid, you know, as far as that goes, you know, as far as that time of grief and looking back and just, we did it together and it did not feel one-sided. Um, I remember, so my aunt and my cousin, um, her, one, her, one of her sons, they both had babies that passed away shortly after birth. Um, I don't know what happened with, with her baby. I don't think anybody did because it was a very long time ago, but, um, my, uh, my cousin's baby had complications from genetic disorder. 
And so when we were at my parents' house and for the funeral and the reception after, my aunt and uncle looked at Jeff and myself and as we were walking them out to their car and they just said, and it just makes me choke up, but they said, you know, this is either going to bring you closer together than ever, or it is going to tear you apart. You have to work on it. And I just was like, that's probably, that, that just sounded so profound. It sounded a little bit scary. It sounded a lot scary, you know, because I'm thinking, I mean, I'm a mess already <laughs> and, you know, still dealing with all the hormonal stuff and all the other things that come after having a baby. I'm just like, I, so I've got to get my head around my marriage now. And I feel like, but I took it and I, and I believed it and I never I'm so glad I did because it was the honest to goodness truth. Mm. And so from that point forward, we, we really vowed to do whatever it was going going to take to, I don't think we were most worried about like the marriage, but helping each other. Mm -hmm. And so um, we ended up going to a grief counselor um, shortly thereafter and we did have some one-on-one sessions with this person, but we really used it for couples counseling. And even though there wasn't a problem per se with our relationship at the time, aside, you know, from the obvious, but we weren't having, we, we didn't have any, um, there wasn't anything that we were arguing about or didn't see eye to eye on. I felt like we were just doing it as a precaution, you know, but it was so helpful. And, um, it was so helpful to get us through an entire conversation of feelings and, mm-hmm. and give us some closure rather than, you know, if you say something at home or, you know, you don't get to finish the, you know, get finish the conversation for some reason, it was just a, a safe place for us, for her to ask us questions and us to answer them, you know, frankly, right. And for her to then sort of assess what it all meant and what we needed to be looking out for, for the other person. And I think, I just, I think that was invaluable. I think that was the best thing that we ever did. Yeah. It's so important. You guys put the work in to make sure it didn't bring you apart and made you even closer together. I mean, you said that you had like a really long conversation even about it 15 years later, just the other night. And that it's so Mm -hmm. important to establish that out the gate, but both of you making that, like that effort, that contribution to saying, we're both going to come in and do this and really work hard on it. I, I drug Michael to therapy. He's like, I don't have anything to say. And I'm like, you're just going to sit, you're just going to listen. You never know what's going to pop up. Um, and I think that was important that he knew I cared what he thought, you know, a lot of times we're very focused on what happened to us and that we're the only ones that are in this. And that's not true. Our partners are very much in it. So that's really important to do that. Um, I want to take a quick break to tell you about something I love, wine. I like to enjoy a glass or two here or there, but what I don't like is junk in my wine. So I drink Scout and Cellar clean crafted wine. These grapes are sourced from all over the world and have no toxic pesticides, no artificial processing aids, and no added sugar. They're also low in sulfites and absolutely delicious. Have them delivered right to your home and see for yourself. Go to www.scoutandcellar.com slash Catherine Lazar to order your clean crafted wine now. I hope you enjoy. And of course, please, please drink responsibly. Back to the show. You had said that um, you 
the grief, you don't really know at what point it kind of shifted to not being the forefront. Do you recall kind of the flip, kind of the, the honoring of Laura Caroline? How, what did that look like in the beginning? How did that progress over a decade and a half? Um, well, I, first off, um, I, I put pictures of pictures of her all over, not all over, but I put <laughs> pictures up in our home, um, because I just felt like that was what was comforting. And I wanted to honor her and, you know, let her know that I was proud of her. And I was so proud to be a mother because of her, because she is who made me a mother. Mm -hmm. And to me, that just felt like what any other mother would do, right? Like, I tried to do the things and I, and I remember, I do remember writing this down and I, I just, I wanted to sort of carry on in some ways. I mean, not, I don't, for the lack of, or for the fear of making myself sound crazy, but I just wanted it to feel like I was doing some of the things like one, for example, um, I worked on a scrapbook for her and that was really hard and challenging. I ended up having, um, a sweet girl finish it for me, but I gathered everything and asked for pictures of me when I was pregnant from all my friends and stuff like that. And that was, I think that was probably the pictures and then the scrapbook were the first things that I did that I felt like that was honoring her right off the bat. Yeah. And then, um, you know, every September 15th, we have gotten pink balloons and have done balloon releases and our other children or be a listening ear or whatever might be needed. And um, it makes me just think, you know, I needed, I would like to do a better job of honoring her and um, going for, I don't, I, you know, I don't think that we've done anything wrong, but I just, I think that y'all have definitely are paving a way to make people realize that, you know, continue, continue these children's legacy and, and yeah. talk about them. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I, I mean, I think what happens after the death of your firstborn is you kind of try to find purpose. Your purpose is gone. Your purpose of a living, being the parent to a living child is gone. And so in the interim of me trying to be the mother to a living child and also being the mother to a dead child, I have put my efforts into certain things that have helped me, I think, parent him, keep his name going, do the best that I can still on earth. And so that is the podcast, you know, that is being extremely vocal on my social media about this stuff. And that is now the foundation because I, you know, we don't get to plan birthday parties for them. So to me, his birthday party was that, mm -hmm. that event that we threw. And so, you know, though, but you have me thinking a lot, I'm only 10 months out. I haven't even hit a year yet. I have started something that I have got to keep going. I can't stop. So right now, while the momentum is so fierce, I don't know what 15 years is going to look like for me, you know, and to hear you say that it's reignited. I'm so ignited right now that I'm exhausting myself. So it's so interesting how this goes and how this changes. And, you know, if you're, you're listening and you haven't done 
which in your opinion, haven't done anything. That's not right. You, 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 everybody does the honoring of their babies the best that they can and the way that they want to do it. It's just a feeling that some of us have that is a little bit more aggressive in what we'd like to do and a little bit more out there than private. And so there's no right or wrong though. Not one is right or one is wrong according to the other. So I just, while I appreciate you saying that, I, I really have put myself in motion for something for the rest of my life. And I hope that I can do it. So if in 15 years from now, <laughs> I'm going to need you to be like, get back to it. If I start to fade, <laughs> you know, well, I definitely will. I definitely will. And I, and I don't, I don't mean to beat up on myself. I definitely think that we have, we've, we've done a lot and our friends are so great. They, you know, we'll text us every September 15th. And I remember on her first birthday, we had, you know, pretty much everyone that had been there for the past, that past, that first year had him over and basically had a party. Um, and we, you know, we had done, we've done that a few other times along the way. My friends have hosted stuff at their home. I one one year, I think it was year 10. Um, my, one of my sweet friends, um, uh, she had a surprise party, um, to, you know, honor Laura Caroline. And, um, so we're, it's, she's always, and she's still always talked about, I will say like, we've done a, I do, we, you know, we talk about her in our home. My children know all about her. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And they, uh, I mean, when I say talk about her, I mean, they're like, okay, well, we're a family of five, but then they say, no, really. Six, and then they add the cat and the dog and that's pretty funny Aww. but um but yeah so I you know it's 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 just not it I'm just so thankful for everybody's sake your sake even my sake even being so far out that even you know 15 years ago it it wasn't taboo right like people were open to come forward and help me and understand and read books and go to websites and learn and not be, you know, a, I know that we've all experienced the Darren headlight person, the person who said the craziest stuff, the most, you know, cruel things. Um, but I do feel like we do a good job. You had mentioned to me that you wish you had journaled or taken notes or something. Mm -hmm. So, and I find that so interesting because I had vowed to do 365 days after Birdie's death. And I kind of stopped around six months because I don't know what happened. I was, it wasn't therapeutic, but I'm going back to it now and I'm filling in the details of what happened. So tell me, why do you, why do you wish that you had done that? Do you, do you feel like it's important that we do remember all the details or is it better that we kind of let some of them go? I'm, I'm torn with that. I think it's the former. I feel like, you know, you can write them down, but you don't have to read them every day. That's true. You can, they can always be there. Um, just as a source, you know, in cases like this, I want yeah. to be relevant and I, and I have the relevant history it's just not, um, I, I just didn't do anything in writing to yeah. capture all of the feelings and all of the things. I will say this, I did, you know, I did try to document the, the day, that day, the day before, the day after. And 
it's the most tragic thing that will ever, God willing, hopefully happen to all of us. And, you know, you're thinking, how could you not remember every detail? And I don't know that I didn't. I mean, not when I really sat down and wrote down, even 15 years later, I mean, I remember the, the smallest details, mm-hmm. you know? And so I just wish I had a little bit more of a crisper, clearer, you know, outline of yeah. all of that. And, and it, and honestly too, like to be able to help you or, or anyone else in the future, you know, I, I do want to remember like what happened thereafter, how, what was I thinking? You know, maybe when, you know, you pose the question to me that I, frankly, I don't think I was able to answer is like, when did it not become on the forefront? Um, and maybe that just, you know, maybe, maybe that's when you stop journaling as, as much as you did before. Um, but I, I, and I want, you know, I, I want people to know that I want people to know the details for, you know, that are going through it because I don't know, it validates everyone's feelings and so life 15 years later, do you remember what the difference between this one and the first year, how it felt? Do I remember the grave difference? Yeah. Um, violently different. Violently. Yes. It was dark. Very it dark. was very dark. It was very lonely. It was very sad. I didn't have any issues with depression, but my anxiety was through the roof. And I just, I think to, again, back to the conversation, Jeff and I had the blame. I I don't remember all of that. And I think that was the other thing that we had to work through in counseling is then, because he reminded me then I was blaming myself for his pain. And I mean, I was just, you know, going through all different ways to punish myself. And I can look back now, 15 years later and know there is nothing I could have done different. I didn't, I didn't eat any of the bad food. I never took a sip of alcohol. I didn't do anything wrong. Nothing wrong. I didn't eat lunch meat. I mean, I didn't do anything. I didn't even really work out very much because I was afraid I might do something to harm the baby. Um, but I can look back now and say, I didn't do anything wrong. I know I didn't do anything wrong. I did everything perfectly fine. And I've let myself off the hook with that one. And, yeah. and I, and I have joy and I have happiness and I do think, you know, that seemed unattainable, unimaginable in 2007, truly. But, yeah. You know, you mentioned something else a second ago. And I think I, I think I wrote this in an email to you and Christina, your sister after your y'all's podcast aired and back to the, you know, this reigniting my passion to help other people. It, there is the, the, one of the themes for me is to find purpose for my pain. And I think if you just sit there and wallow in sadness and grief, it's just, it, it's, it's, you're making it so much more painful on yourself when you could go out and do a scrapbook, make a scrapbook. You can, you know, start a podcast. You can, be more vocal and get yourself out there and, you know, raise awareness. I wrote a blog, um, for one of the programs here in Fort Worth and that put myself out there. I mean, I don't know who all read it, but it's still, it was like putting myself out there and getting myself in sort of 
less comfortable positions. And that just, that feels really good. I mean, it felt good to come to Atlanta and, you know, um, support y'all and just whatever I can do to, to make my daughter and her life, you know, mean something. Yeah, absolutely. I love that purpose for the pain or turn your pain into purpose. Actually. I like that. I think a lot of times we feel like we tell people you don't have to do anything in the midst of your grief, but honestly doing something does help. It helps the days go a little quicker. It turn it distracts your thoughts and your minds from the blame, from the shame, from the anger, um, from the regret. It's, it's important. And, and even if it's the smallest thing, just every day have something that brings purpose or that you can funnel your pain into, I think it is helpful. And, and I'm an advocate for that because it has, it has helped me tremendously. Um, I do want to ask you as well. I love that you are finding purpose and doing new things and reigniting. I think that's wonderful. And it's never too late in the grief journey. This is our story and it's, we can do whatever we want with it. So I'm curious as to, you said that you have joy in your life and you were able to overcome the blame. What did you actively do? Cause it takes work. You don't just wake up one day and you're like, Oh, I don't blame myself anymore. Or, Oh, I have purpose. What did you actively do daily or weekly or monthly, or what was your process like in order to get to this point? I think back in the beginning yeah. days, the counseling was super helpful. I think that, again, I can't say enough about my friends. I mean, I they they served as counselors to me and being nice to them. They still do. They're still cheering me on. They're cheering me on, you know, so excited that I'm, finally vocalizing my story. Well, you actually like, made moves to do it. You you chose to not wallow. You chose to not live in sorrow. You chose to start to feel better or start to do something with yourself in order to, well, first, A, move forward to have a living baby and also B, to just kind of save yourself from the excruciating pain of loss, of the loss of Laura Caroline. So you know, making that decision to go to counseling is a big deal. Just making that active choice, seeking seeking out the communication from your friends is a big deal. Some people as good as you, as they may have the best friends in the world, but if they don't seek out their support or let them know that they're needed, they're just going to be on an island by themselves in this whole thing. So making those decisions to let people help you is really important too, you know, and I think that's one thing that you have to decide after loss. You have to pick yourself up one day and say, I need to have to try to have a happy life. I need to try to find, put my pain into purpose. Like you said, I need to try to be a good wife and, you know, eventually a good mother to a living baby. So, and that means you have to make those decisions on how you're going to get there. It doesn't just happen and it doesn't that's come right. in the form of a person and it doesn't just poof. It's not just like a genie pops up and you're like, oh, you're better. You have to put the work in. Counseling isn't easy, man. I sweat every time I go into counseling. Like, <laughs> I tell this woman way too much shit, but um, it works for me. And just having an outlet and speaking to my partner, I will never not speak to him and tell him how I'm feeling. <laughs> Bless his heart. <laughs> well, I love that. And y'all listening to that podcast for me, it really reminds me of how Jeff and I handled this. I yeah. felt like all I heard, the, the message I heard from you and Michael 
through and through the whole conversation was respect. Y'all respected each other. Y'all listened to what one another said and you didn't, there wasn't any judgment. And I felt like, oh my goodness, that's that this couple reminds me of, of Jeff and me when we were, you know, you know, however many months, you know, down the road, it was just all about listening to him and him listening to me. And, you know, again, finding, um, you know, I, we put a lot of effort into our relationship Yeah, and made sure that, you know, it's hard, it's hard sometimes that you have to be like, okay, I don't know why you're not sad today, but I am, but I guess I'll just understand that you're okay today. Yeah. Um, cause you don't want to will someone to be sad just to make yourself feel better. But I do feel like too, just, and I, this is just the age old answer, but I do think time really and truly, mm you know, time gives you perspective and time, time's not going to heal all the wounds. It's, it will never heal everything, but time definitely is helpful for healing and, you know, being able to reflect yeah. back and allow yourself the release of blame. And I think you, whenever you can get out of these, like that, I don't know, I know we're all different for me. It was real panicky and anxiety ridden and you know once you can somehow get yourself through that I feel yeah. like you can start to really like use your brain and say okay this is not reasonable yeah I and mean, I think your insight 15 years later whether you believe it or not is so vital I talk to women who are three weeks out I talk to women who are three months out I talk to women who are days out I mean it's it sounds impossible when they hear you talking like this. It really does. And I even remember back to like the first week, I thought that I was never, ever going to emerge from my house or laugh again or work again or do anything of any sort. The anger was all consuming. The blame was borderline crippling. Mm -hmm. It was horrific. And with time, like you said, and making that conscious effort that I have to try to live life that Brody would be proud of. And I, and I think when people hear you talking like this 15 years later, it sounds almost like we can exhale. We can say, okay, I just have to hold on a little bit longer. I just have to make sure I, I understand my grief. I recognize for how it feels right now, but it's not always going to feel this way. And that is so important that everybody understands that we will be okay. We will feel differently. It will always be there. Like you said, it'll never go away because you will always love Laura Caroline. I'll always love Brody. As long as we love our babies, we will always grieve their death, but sure. it will not always be this excruciating. And that is so promising to hear from somebody who knows how we feel. You were here. You did this, you know? And I think it's really important. So I thank you so much for your perspective. And I think that all the tips and things that you have said about putting in the work and doing the counseling and talking to your partner and, you know, making, putting, turning your pain into purpose, so important. So I thank you so much for being open about it. Of course. I, I really enjoyed this. And, you know, again, my message is hope there's hope and you got to hang on to it. And some days you just don't know how that's possible, but you have to go forward and, and have hope. And my message here today is, is hope. And I hope that every woman out there that is just starting this journey or is 
a day or a year or 10 years out continues to hang on to hope for whatever, for whatever that is. And I think that, um, again, just want to reiterate that you will be happy again. I promise. That's beautiful. Thank you. Well, thank you. And again, thank you for all your efforts. I don't know what life would have been like if I had something like this podcast to listen to. I think it could have just been a game changer because I do think everyone is seeking validation for their feelings and finding some true empathy that truly nobody except for this group of us has much as yeah. people love us, it's, it's, it's impossible to have true empathy. Yeah, no, it's true. It's, it, it takes someone who has been there to really, to really empathize and to really speak the same language. And on the flip, I don't know what my life would have looked like if you hadn't jumped at the chance to tell my sister what to do, because I don't have much regret from the day of because of you. And if I did on top of all the regret I already have, it would just be way, way more excruciating than it is. So thank you. Yeah. Oh. Can't thank you enough. Well, You're a good friend. I'm happy to be friends. <laughs> and we finally I, met. So that's, we'll yeah. have to meet up again sometime soon. I would love that. We need a, we need a fun weekend and with cat too, we'll get cat here in Atlanta and we'll, we'll do something great. So in honor of our babes too. Because I know Laura Caroline was like, Brody, I'm showing you around. I've been here for a minute. These are the cool people. Don't yes. do that. <laughs> I love that. I love that idea. That makes me feel comfortable that he had a friend on his way up there. Um, me too. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Awesome. Thank love you, friend. Girl. Love you, friend. Bye. Talk soon. Bye. Bye. That's all for this episode of the At A Total Loss podcast. If you'd like to help other lost moms benefit from our stories, please share, rate, and comment wherever you are listening. Thank you for being the strong mama that you are. And remember, when things have you at a total loss, we're here to help you find the light in the darkness. Take care, lost moms.